Sunday, the 10th of October, 2021, and you're listening to episode 37 of Reds Unrestricted. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. I'm joined today, as ever, by my co-host Dan Club, and our guest this week is Louis Young, a football writer for Well Football Index, Football's Finest, and Breaking the Lines. Thanks for coming on, Louis. I want to start by asking you a question that isn't explicitly Liverpool-related, but will definitely have ramifications for Liverpool. Um, it's about Newcastle's takeover, um, and they're pretty much now a, uh, a Saudi super club, you could say. So, yeah, what's your initial reaction to that and its sort of consequences for not only Liverpool, but, you know, the Premier League as well? Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, the first thing I wanted to say was just that... Um, like I've I've just moved down to near Newcastle, and the uh, the reaction I've heard from most people, uh, when I've spoken to a lot of Newcastle fans here, is that there's a lot of people that are just really really happy that that Mike Ashley is is gone, uh, because it's been years and years of lowering the bar and you know getting used to mediocrity and maybe using the club as an advertising hoarding for what is quite pretty much just a retail empire at this point, and. I think if any club deserves a change in ownership, it's Newcastle um, for the years that they've had to endure under Mike Ashley. But they they are maybe embracing something of a really, really tumultuous ownership because these are people who maybe are, aren't coming with the best intentions and the intentions are to sports wash. Um, you know, I think uh, we're all quite aware of like what people like Amstey have said in that the UK and the Premier League welcoming, you know, these state-funded sovereign wealth countries, uh, these these state-funded um, owners like the PIF that are taking over Newcastle, uh, embracing these people is almost just embracing um, people whose intentions are to cleanse their their historically bad reputations, including their terrible terrible abuses of human rights. Um, so it does make the, the future quite murky for Newcastle because they are getting rid of one terrible owner, but embracing quite a controversial and potentially even more damaging, um, more damaging ownership. Dan, I want to come to you now. Like normally, we we'd start with who am I, and we like to skip that this week for, for time reasons. But I will, I will hit you with a bit of a juicy, juicy opener. <sighs> Um, anyway, and it's not trivia, but what I am going to ask is, if it was Liverpool in this position, because obviously we've got owners who are basically self-sustaining, yeah. Um, so realistically, we don't really spend the amount that our rivals on the you know domestic and European stage do. But if mm-hmm. it was Liverpool, and it's a hard question to answer, how do you think you'd you'd feel about it, you know, it is a really difficult one to kind of wrap mm. your head around as a football fan. Like, Yeah, it is, um, because I've been fighting with this, because obviously when something like this happens, you know, it does cross your mind, you think, how would I feel if this was my club? Um, and it is a difficult one um, for lots of reasons. I think we'd all like the monetary side of it, but everything else that goes with it, like Louis just touched upon, doesn't sit well whatsoever. Um, but it is a properly difficult one. I think the main point on it is, is that 
although Liverpool fans have got a pretty, you know, ill feeling towards FSG and our ownership, it doesn't really stretch as far as Newcastle's ill feeling goes towards Mike Ashley. And I think a lot of their relief this week has mainly been the fact that they've got rid of Ashley as opposed to what's come in. I think that's almost like an added bonus, the fact that the owners are so wealthy. There's very few that I've seen and I can imagine are actually thinking about the consequences of who now owns their football club. But from a Liverpool point of view, every bone in my body wants to say I wouldn't like it um, because it shines a bad light on the club. I think I think there's a lot of people now looking at that going, you know, obviously money-wise it's great, but these people are pretty, you know, they've done some pretty heinous things in the home country um, and they've got pretty sort of heinous poor ethics as well, like, like again, Louis touched upon. So every bone in my body wants to say no. But at the same time, I think if you get to a point with your current ownership whereby almost anything could be better, and obviously when you take into account the money, because I'd love, you know, someone to come in and, and spend not necessarily ridiculous amounts of money, but maybe more than FSG do, I think it'd be a really difficult sort of balance of conscience to to, to grapple with. Um, so, yeah, I, I find it almost impossible to answer Dave, if I'm honest, um, because every bone in my body wants to say, no, I don't want it. But at the same time, you know, everyone wants the best for their club, and that involves spending a lot of money these days. Well, it is, it is impossible to answer, um, much like a, a really good who am I, maybe. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, as a fan, you maybe try and reconcile the two things and say, look, I'm going to cheer the team on on the pitch, but I'm also going to do what I can to hold the ownership to account in terms of their their conduct. Um, I don't think, I'm not sure whether it's possible to actually do that in practice. Um, and I, I think this is one of the most complex discussions in the game and it's strange to say that because it should be a black and white issue of you know when obviously human rights abuse is involved but i'm talking from the sort of fans point of view how should the fan respond to that i think is is very complex certainly not something that that we can answer but what we can all agree on is that well i hope we can all agree on is that it's um obviously pretty terrible for football as in a more general sense um that this kind of step's been taken um and we'll see whether in a few years we're, we're talking about Newcastle in the same breath as as Chelsea and Man yeah. City, who we're going to move on to now because we've seen Liverpool play both of them. Uh, the two teams who I'd argue, um, and probably most Liverpool fans would argue, are the two who are competing with us for the title. Man United look like they don't necessarily have enough. So this will be going out about a week after the, the Man City game, obviously ending in a 2 all draw. So we've seen Liverpool now play both of those teams. Louis, uh, I'll come to you. On the back of those games, are you more or less confident about winning the league than you were before the season started? Uh, I, I would say like 100% like more confident because uh, I would say going um, like immediately after the Chelsea game and immediately after the, the City game, there was a lot more just... It wasn't a negative feeling, but it was a feeling that we could have done more against both. Like we we ended the Chelsea game thinking, okay, well we're playing against ten men for forty five minutes, and we we really really could have done better, especially in the second half. And against Manchester, it was just 
I mean, it practically didn't even show up in the first half, and it was really, it was really poor in the first half. Um, and yeah, like uh, after both games, I, I think there was a bit of a feeling of okay, we could have, we could have done a lot better there. And it was quite encouraging that we that we got past those two games and we've, we're still unbeaten. Um, and yeah, it's massively encouraging. I, I would, I would say. Um, I think that the the Manchester City game was was uh, a lot better for for Manchester City than, than for us. And, and I guess in the Chelsea game it was as well because of the circumstances being down to ten men. But with the City game, you can just see how relieved Pep was after the game. You can see how much it meant to to Chelsea and to City to just get a point at Anfield. Um, so yeah, I'd say it's massively encouraging after the two games and. I think the the mentality of Liverpool just it is very very strong right now. So I, I can't see that being much of a problem going further and further in the season because we have had that experience for the last three four years. I think you make a good point about the feeling after both games maybe ruining a missed opportunity in the Chelsea case because of the ten men and in City because we were twice ahead. Obviously, um, for me, I'd say I'm no more or less confident than I was before the season. And, and it's kind of strange to say that, but there was a line from Gary Neville um, after the game on, on Sunday last week. And he said that Liverpool don't quite look like the same team that we saw sort of between kind of the start of 18-19 and 19-20. And, and I'd probably agree with that. It just looks like there isn't, it's not, we're not quite the same level. And that's you know, maybe inevitable um, in a way to get 98 and, and then 99 points, obviously that there is going to be a bit of a drop-off. I guess we'll find out over the season how much. Um, so that's my kind of take on it. I in, feel... in what way, sorry, in what way do you, do you think that, that is, is that more of a, is that more of a, in, in terms of how we play or in terms of just men, mentally, do we do, do you think we look different? Because, because I think we look quite strong and I think we look more mature, but. Well, I, th- I think, I see where you're coming from. Like certainly, the, it's been a positive start to the season overall, I'd say. But I think you asking what kind of area, I'd say just kind of a little bit of everything, really. Um, the strength of the team. I mean, attacking-wise, we've been brilliant, but defensively, we look a little bit vulnerable. Um, whether there's, you know, issues with the system there, I don't know. But, yeah, it just looks like in, in kind of every area, we've kind of um, faded a little bit from those really high levels. But whether... You know that will make the difference between winning the title and not. Um, we'll see. But Dan, I'll bring you in on this. Um, looking at that that kind of city game, it's on the one hand, you could say City looked maybe like a better team than Liverpool. Um, yeah. would be you know probably a fair assessment. But equally, was it a game that showed that City have a key weakness, um, in their team? And that maybe Liverpool could take quite a bit from that in terms of not having not having that number nine. Exactly that, to be honest, Dave. I was gonna say, I was gonna say very similar to you. Um, I don't think we've quite hit our straps yet. And I think we've had periods in games whereby I think we've looked as imperious as we have done over the past few seasons. But I think for the majority of the time I've been not underwhelmed, that would be unfair, but we've been just a little bit off, maybe if it's in front of the goal at times. Um we've but apart from Salah, he's very much the exception to this conversation. Um, haven't quite hit the heights, I'd say, 
um, just yet. But in terms of the City game, I think it's definitely fair to say they look like the better equipped side right now. Um, the one positive I took from both, if you'd have asked me at half-time against Man City, had it been a very different answer, I thought we were woeful 45 minutes. Um, but the fact that they couldn't put us away in that 45 minutes in the bigger picture makes you think there's frailties there and you think, you know, if that was, you know, a Man City side playing at the peak of its powers or if it was the other way around and we were at the peak of our powers and that was City having that first half, I would expect us to be two, even three nil up at that point. That's how different the two sides were in that first 45 minutes Um, and the fact it was nil-nil and the fact we were allowed to come back into the game in the way we did in the second half shows me that City aren't quite there yet as well in terms of how good they can be. Um, and they've probably got problems. And similar with Chelsea, I said it a while ago on here, um, I think they've got you know, their own areas of weakness, um, which I think have been half exposed recently. I know by City in that one game and Juventus beat them. And I haven't been overly convinced by them either yet. So... Out of the three main protagonists, I don't think any of us have really done ourselves justice just yet. So it's a really interesting title battle still. Um, and I'm confident from what I've seen in the early stages that we will be there right until the end. Whether we've got enough to win it, I'm not sure, but I'm certain we'll be there. Yeah, I think that you're pretty much bang on there, Dan. You know, even though we have had a, a portion of the season, now there are still kind of a lot of questions. Obviously, we've just seen City come off the back of, you know, what looks like on paper the hardest week of fixtures you could possibly have. And they've got kind of one one of each results-wise. Um, but, you know, played quite well in all the games. So it's kind of hard to say who the, who the favourite is. It almost seems to have ebbed and flowed a little bit, I think. You know, Chelsea, um, with their some of their, you know, away victories, Tottenham and Arsenal, they've looked really serious then. Then equally, what City did at Stamford Bridge, and and us looking City, really good. City at home well. to Southampton, nil nil, and they probably should have lost the game. Kyle Walker probably should have been sent off. You know, it, none of us have really got going yet, have we? Yeah, I'd agree with that, and it'll probably we'll probably find out in the sort of run between now and Christmas. Obviously, interrupted by one more international break. Um, who is going to be the team that that really kicks on? But. Let's talk about um, a player in a bit more depth, someone who, who struggled against City by pretty much all accounts, Jordan Henderson. Um, there's been a lot of talk about uh, Henderson's performance levels across the season uh, in the wake of that City game when um, you know it was a really frustrating one for them. So just to give some examples of the kind of criticism he's faced, you know, we've seen Theo Squires from the Echo said he hasn't quite been at the races. Um and then you've had other people going in a bit more strongly. Carl Match is saying he's not been in good form of late whatsoever. And uh, Raj Shohan saying he's been Liverpool's worst player so far this season. Um, Louis, do you agree with... I mean, I guess what we have there really is three kind of different ways of looking at it. Sort of one quite moderate and one, you know, quite serious in, in the criticism. Where would you kind of place yourself on that scale, if you are critical of Henderson, that is. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's. I've been a little bit critical of Henderson. I mean, the Manchester City game, my game was probably one of the worst halves I've ever seen from Henderson. That was really, really poor. But I just think that with Henderson, last season he, he did have quite, quite a bad time with injuries and 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 
especially towards the end of last season. And when he came back at the, the start of the season, and he had a, quite a good game against Burnley when he played as a number six. I know that Fabinho might miss out. Next, I think it might be after the international break. So uh, I think maybe if Henderson played as a six again, it wouldn't be too bad because I do like Henderson as a six. And uh, when he plays as a number eight, I'm, I'm not quite as convinced of him, uh, especially in the last year. So, uh, yeah, I, I am more forgiven of Henderson because I know the value that he brings to everyone else. Um, but, yeah, he's, he has been very poor. I, w- I wouldn't necessarily class him as the poorest player in the, in, in, in the squad this season because I think when, you, when you're doing, as you know, when you're unbeaten in the league and have won both of your Champions League games, I don't think it's it's the time to start pointing fingers and saying you're the worst in in the squad because because things are going relatively well. I don't think it's really the time to to point out all those those negatives. I think Henderson's got a lot of room for improvement this season, and it has been a relatively poor start to the season. But he's more than capable of turning it around, and we've we've seen that he can do that. And um, what about what about you, Dan? If I'm going to put that kind of scale to you as well, and if you and if you do think that Henderson's out of form, mm. what kind of reason would you give? I know Louis just mentioned the the fitness issues he had last season. Maybe maybe that's playing a part. Yeah, I think fitness is a good shout. Um, I, I do think he's out of form. Yeah, I do think he's out of form. But I also agree with Louis in that I don't think. Well, I'm not the type generally to start having to label you know, whoever's been our worst player for this start of the season, I don't think that's necessary. Um, But like I say, having said that, he has um, looked like he's struggled. I'd put it down, if I'm honest, to more of a role situation. He's he's playing on the right-hand side of the three in midfield. um, And I'm just not convinced that that suits him. Um, Too often, I think especially against Brentford, he wasn't helping out uh, Trent whatsoever, really. and I think he kind of got caught out because of it, Trent. And it happened against City in terms of not helping out Milner. Too often Milner was left two-on-one. And normally something we kind of herald Henderson for is his work rate and the fact he gets back and helps the full-backs. He's just not doing it this year. And whether that is, again, comes back to fitness or just a role and that he's not quite mastering. Because obviously we started the season with Harvey Elliott in that right-hand side of midfield slot. And then Thiago kind of went in there and then both of them are injured. So Henderson's gone and done it and he hasn't done it with much great effect so far. So maybe that's part of it. But like I say, in terms of criticising him, listen, we can all be critical, you know, as and when I suppose it pleases us. But I don't think there's any necessary needs to criticise at the moment. We're unbeaten, like Louis said, we're unbeaten. We've top of, you know, essentially top of both major leagues that we need to be in. Um, so as far as it goes, being overly, you know, unfair or harsh on him, I don't think that's necessary. But there's no doubt about it, he's not quite been there. Yeah, I think the, the point about the role is, is definitely interesting. I've seen it suggested that there's more of a, a sort of attacking onus being put on him and he's finding himself being drawn into kind of areas of the pitch that mean... Yeah. He can't really track back as effectively. I mean, but it's it's hard to say. Like, like you alluded to, Dan, it's hard to say whether this is a, a almost a systemic thing or whether it's you know due to Henderson's own approach or, or fitness levels or whatever when when he is on the pitch. But um, let's sort of change pace and talk about a player who's been raking in the plaudits, rightfully so. 
post city um and i want to get your takes on the the debate that's been going on about where mohammed salah ranks um at the moment and i guess when we talk about whether someone is the best right now it's hard to say what right now actually means does that mean just over the past you know few games past few months the year as a whole um so i'll let you kind of you know take your own interpretation of what that might mean but can we really say that that Salah, like it just, it strikes me. I know I'm not necessarily disagree, but you know, it's really striking thing to say that Salah is the best player in the world at the moment. Uh, Louis, I'll let you go first. Uh, yeah, I mean, personally, I think that Salah's been in that kind of bracket in the kind of maybe top five, six players in the world and for the last, for the last maybe three or four years. And I think what we're seeing right now is just that there's a bit of a, <laughs> like maybe uh, I don't know how to describe it, but malaise maybe of, of of these of these players at the top who maybe aren't having their best times right now. I mean Mbappe and and Messi and like they're not having amazing seasons. They're not having standout seasons where you're thinking that they're absolutely incredible. They're coming up with less moments uh, in in bigger games. I don't know if Messi scored against Man City, but you know it's they're coming up with less moments in huge fixtures that you're like oh wow this is we're really looking at something special here and I think that when you have a group of players that are maybe in the top five six in the world then they're all going to have times where where they look like the best in the world and Salah is having this this absolutely incredible time right now whereas in my opinion he is the best player in the world right now because I don't think there's anyone that's consistently showing the levels that he is showing and putting in the the performances that he's putting in in such huge games, I don't think there's anyone in the world doing that as consistently as he is and is doing it as well as he is. Um, and he, yeah, my, my, I mean, my opinion, Salah can't, can't really be higher. Um, I give him a lot of credit. He's probably my favourite player that's ever played for Liverpool. Um, and yeah, like, I, re- I really do think that he's, that he's the best player in the world right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, that, I think that sums it up really. I like I like the way you're looking at it there in terms of that group, that sort of really elite bracket, and each of them are gonna have spells where you know maybe they're not quite at their one hundred percent best. Like I think with Salah, obviously he has been frighteningly consistent for the most part, but I want to say there was like a spell sort of in in twenty early twenty nineteen um, where he maybe wasn't quite at his best because I remember when he he scored. Um, scored the goal against Chelsea um, and also played a part in that winner against Tottenham. I think I remember there the, the, the being this sort of narrative about how oh, that's the moment we've been waiting for from Salah for the past um, few few weeks or months. Um, so I want to say that's kind of maybe been his his sort of trickiest spell. But yeah, uh, right now, it's, post- it's hard to argue. Yeah, especially post like Messi and Ronaldo years of just straight dominance. So there is going to be that. I don't, I don't think in the next couple of years we're going to see players just accelerate in, in front just like Messi and Ronaldo did uh, all those years ago. You, you, you are going to see players like Salah and Haaland and Mbappe just, and players just come out of nowhere and have these amazing years. And maybe they'll they'll fall off for a few months. I think I, rem- I remember the time that you're talking about because there was that game against Southampton where he rips his shirt yeah, off. And, that's a good yeah, one as well. In the run on in the running for that 2018 season, um, but yeah, Salah does have his moments where he's where he's off, but it's just one of the things that's probably the best 
one of the best qualities about Salah is that even when he is having a really, really terrible run or if he's really unlucky, he's he never really there's never never a dip in his attitude or his effort. There's there's never any of that. He's he's such a I don't feel like there's much drama with, with Salah at your club. You know, it doesn't I feel like a lot of players when they start, especially a lot of world class players, when they start having dips in their form, it kind of feels like they become the the centre of attention and every, and everything around them just becomes a bit of a subplot. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about anyone in particular, you know, it's someone at Manchester United right now. But uh, you know, everything around them, you know, starts becoming a little bit of a subplot, um, and they become kind of the centre of attention. So I don't think Salah's ever had that. I think I think with Salah, there's a different there's a different vibe around, around Salah where if if he is having an off period, there's never a dip in, in attitude, and he still contributes in a lot of ways, and that's why he's kind of undroppable. <laughs> Definitely, I think he's sort of moving clear as well in terms of reputation of of Mane and I know those two are kind of regarded as quite closely matched uh, for a long time um, not to make it into a unnecessary competition but I mean just to like step back for a second it, it's just in- incredible when you think about how we signed them from Roman from obviously we've been doing really well there and, and we'd seen that there was potential for him to you know take his output up a level but for it to prove such a perfect fit that it's unlocked literally the, the maximum from a player um, and the results that we've seen. I think there's certainly an element of us striking a little bit lucky as well as doing some very intelligent scouting there, but it's just a, uh, yeah, it's just a, a perfect mix of, uh, of factors really that have brought out this, you know, incredible historic talent. But Dan, I'll, I'll let you give your view on the best in the world discussion, but I also want to fl- float an idea, um, mm. I suppose, just so I can say I got there early if it does turn out to be the case. Um, what if, I mean, Salah, I think I'm right in saying, is, is it nine and nine he's got this season now? Yes, yeah, yeah. Do you think possibly, it's very early to be saying this, but do you think possibly those 17, 18 records could, could, could be coming under threat? On current form, yeah, there's no doubt about it. And in many ways, he's a better player now than he was then. He's um, a more mature player, obviously, um, and I think he's got more of almost, it sounds crazy to say, given the numbers we're talking about, but he's almost got a, a more killer instinct for goal scoring now. Um, whereas that season, he was almost just like a freak of nature, wasn't it? I don't think anyone expected what they seen. You know, certainly opposition defences didn't expect it, but he was just like this absolutely lightning-fast phenomenon that just happened to run riot. Um, but now he's like this well-rounded, you know, can score all types of goals, you know, proper world-class footballer, which is certainly not what we bought at the time. So, yeah, those records are potentially under threat if he can carry on. Um, for me, in terms of the best in the world, he's certainly the best in the league at the moment. Um, there's no, absolutely no doubt about it, which is why a lot of people are sort of sitting up and taking notice, really, because... You know, contrary to like one particular report I've seen this week, us as Liverpool fans have been adoring and appreciating him ever since he arrived, really. Um, but it's took, you know, the best part of what it been four and five years for the rest of the league and surrounding areas to really notice just how good he is. Um, and they are finally doing it this week after an absolute wonder goal against City. So, but just to like throw other names in. Um, 
you know, I had a quick look. No, we were going to talk about this. Lewandowski. Um, and the, the problem here is, is the argument about the Premier League being the best league in the world, um, which many people believe it is. But those many people we talk to tend to be fans of clubs in the Premier League. So it's a difficult one. Um, but if we're going to go off the notion that it is, then well, Lewandowski's got 13 goals and one assist in 10 appearances this season. And Benzema has got 10 goals and seven assists in 10 appearances. Um, whereas Salah's got nine goals, like you say, and three assists in nine. Now there, you know, that's sort of Champions League um, cup competitions and obviously the league's thrown in. So based on numbers alone, you'd say Benzema is probably the one sort of ripping up most at the moment. But if we're going to go off the Premier League's the best in the world, there's there's little argument really that Salah, he's definitely in that top three conversation right now. But Salah on form could well be the best going. Yeah, it's it's really tricky to to say. And um obviously the one of the things about the Premier League being the best league in the world is that it's also the biggest. Um, so the mm. level of attention and stuff. And I think maybe there are probably, probably isn't maybe an appreciation of what players like Benzema and Lewandowski are doing, but the difficulty yeah. point I I'd say probably is valid, but you know. Definite bias there, as you alluded to. Um, so we're not going to be able to to answer to answer that question, but um, obviously Dan and Louis have both given their views on it. Um, we'll move on to for the final sort of ten minutes or so to the the Watford game uh, next weekend. Um, we're going to do the preview slightly differently this time uh, because the game's still, um, you know, just under a week away. Uh, when we record, and so we're not fully sure on team news yet. Uh, one thing we do know is that Fabinho and Allison play um, in the early hours of Friday morning our time. I think it's like a half twelve kickoff that they've got against Uruguay. Um, from what I've read, um, Neil Jones uh, said something in one of his Red Men TV interviews, um, and he he's he indicated that according to Liverpool sources, they might. Uh, try and, and risk Allison for it. I think because obviously the physical demands of playing as a goalkeeper are different. Um, and he, you know, Edison might play the game anyway. Um, so there's a possibility because they'll have Allison for the game. But um, for Bino, um, it might be slightly different um, as an outfielder. So let's take that as one factor. And then obviously the other major thing around this game is the fact that it'll be uh, Ranieri's first game as Watford manager. So if we take no Fabinho, one of, as we saw last season, quite uh, visibly, one of the most important players of the function of the team, um, the Watford new manager bounce, and also this kind of intangible thing of a half 12 kickoff um, at Vicarage Road um, after the international break, um, being kind of a, a victory you just don't fancy. Have we got a bit of a recipe for disaster on our hands here, or am I just being very pessimistic given that Watford probably are going to get relegated? Um, Louis, thoughts? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think you're being superstitious or anything. I think uh, I think it, <laughs> it is a difficult it is a difficult time, but um, it's not very it's not really great timing for us. I mean, I mean, I watch a lot of Syria, um, and I really really like Sampdoria. Uh, under Ranieri, especially last season, because yeah, like Ranieri is a very, very capable manager, and he's 
he's very, very good. I mean, I mean, you don't need to really look at the Leicester thing. You can just look at the rest of his career. And even what he was doing with Sampdoria, he, brought, he took over Sampdoria, I think, when they were second bottom. And he led them to eighth or ninth last season. And was a very, they'd done a very, very decent job with a team that's quite thin. Uh, didn't have a lot of players, didn't have a great squad depth. Um, and I think Watford, they are in trouble. I mean, they're, they're not. They're not very great, Watford, but but they um, but they, they've got a chance under Ranieri to stay up. I think Ranieri is one of the, the few names that does give some encouragement for for Watford to me anyway. Uh, so I I'm a little bit worried from a Liverpool perspective because there will be a little bit of an impact. That's something that Ranieri is quite good at, at doing at every club that he goes into is just having an initial first impact that he can then build off. So that. That will be interesting to see how Liverpool cope with that. But I think we know at this point how Ranier likes to set up his teams. I mean, um, at Sampdoria, it was intended to just be either a 4-4-2 or, um, or a 4-4-1-1. And I think we know what to expect from Watford uh, when when they play us. So, yeah, it's, um, it, it's, it's not superstitious to not want to play them at 12-30 because, yeah, like you say, it's, it's not a... It's not an ideal fixture, but I, I do I do think Liverpool will be okay because we've looked we've looked really solid this season and we, we don't look as fearful. That's what I mean about the maturity aspect of Liverpool right now is that they look more and more willing to meet challenges than than they've ever done in my opinion. Um, they look quite enthusiastic to to rise to new occasions and new challenges. Then and I think as a fan base, Liverpool have got more. Uh, I've got more used to that, so yeah, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the game. But I do see, I do see the, the the worries that you have as well. I think you know with Ranieri, I did a bit of reading about him this week. Obviously, his, his stock kind of went down in England. Um, if it could after winning, maybe he's just invincible after after winning the league. But obviously, it all went very quickly south at Leicester, and then walked into a hard, hardly ideal situation at Fulham and. Uh, that proves to be a bit of a nightmare, but yeah, it's from what you've said there, from and from what I've heard, the the Sampdoria tenure that he had was was really impressive. Um, and obviously Watford have have taken note of that. Um, Dan, are you slightly worried about this one? Obviously, it's important for us to uh to get back to uh to winning ways because we've had a uh, couple of draws on the bounce now in the league. Yeah. I think, yeah, I am worried. I am concerned um, for all the reasons you outlined, really. And obviously the fact that it's Watford away and we all know what happened last time we went there. Um, it's my Lassar gate. Um, but yeah, the only positive, well, there's lots of positives we can take from it. The fact that, you know, <laughs> we're a better side than them. We will probably finish, well, we certainly should finish higher than they do in the league. Um, and I think the fact that obviously Ranieri is not really going to get time to work with the full squad of players, similar to what we're not going to get time to work with all our squad before this game. So any sort of new manager bounce or new tactics he can implement or new everything he can do might be sort of played down by this international break slightly. Um, for all the negatives international breaks bring, you know, their new manager isn't going to get much time to work with them. So maybe that's a slight positive for our sake. But yeah, I think all the things you've both said, dead right. Um still fancy us to go and win the game. And it's exactly the sort of game we need to go and win. With all the things that we're talking about that are kind of conspiring against us, 
after two draws, we need to go and make a bit of a statement and going there and winning would be one. Absolutely. Um, let's get some predictions then um, on the back of that to finish. I'll, I'll, I'll go first. Um, I will, despite what I've said, I'll go for 3-1 to us. Uh, I think you're right, maybe about the, the short time I'll have to work with them. Um, I think we probably will have too much in the end, but Maybe we'll concede a goal and have have a nervy spell in the game. I think it'll be it's going to be really interesting to come up against Sar again, not just because of you know how he tore us a new one last time we played him, but you know there's a couple of other narratives there of um, his agents actually came out and said that we were very close to signing him um, yeah. before we went for for Jota. So he's clearly a player that we we hugely admire, um, and also you've got Robertson, who people have been saying isn't necessarily in the best form, and we know Sar's destroyed a couple of. Of left backs already this season. So, Dan? Slightly more comfortable for me, only of a 3 0. I do think Ranieri will get it right at Wofford, um, but I don't think it'll be next Saturday. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go for 3 0. And Salah, that man again, to have a little bit of a field day. All right. Fair enough. Louis, to finish uh, off. Yeah, I'm going to go for 2 0. 2 0 Liverpool, just because. Uh, I, I, do you remember when? I think we played them in. It was a title winning season, and it was the night. Uh, it was the game at Anfield, and I think we played them in December. And Nigel mm-hmm. Pearson had come in. Was That's I think right, that yeah. might have, yeah. Salah yeah, scored that, that back heel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that was like yeah, it's like that back heel, like nutmeg through like um, yeah, Abbasili. Yeah, that was really good. But I think that might have been uh, kind of a new manager bounce that as well because that mm-hmm. was that. I think that might have been Pearson's first game or maybe second. Yeah. Um. I can kind of see the game maybe going similarly to that because, yeah, like um, I think it might be quite nervy. Uh, I can imagine that we'll probably struggle to break them down, but I, th- I think we'll be solid enough defensively to not be caused too many issues. Um, I hope I'm not jinxing anything there, but yeah, I, I think I think we'll be okay. It's going to be one of them, I think, where you've got to kind of diffuse the diffuse the occasion a little bit, um, and we've done that. Quite well on on a few occasions the this season. I'm thinking Norwich and Leeds games especially. But mm-hmm. um, we're almost out of time. We all quickly come back to you. Give you a a quick chance to plug anything that you want the listeners to have a look at. Uh, not. I mean, just on Twitter, just at Front Post Pod, and that was uh, an old podcast that I had. But I'm probably not going to start it again. Maybe though. You know, you never know. But yeah, follow me on Twitter. That's the only thing you can really do. <laughs> All right, and we'll put that Twitter in the episode description, and I'm sure if you if you do any writing as well, people will be able to to find it through there. But yeah, yeah that's yeah. that's going to be all we got time for this week. Uh, we'll be back um, after Watford, and um, also after Atletico as well um, to reflect on how that one went. Uh, so until then, um, have a good have a good week and enjoy the games. <laughs>